0: Hello and welcome to the official podcast of calluponthelord.com. My name is Corey Wickington and this is episode 12. This week we'll be continuing our great story series. We are in week 12 of that, uh, doing King Solomon this week. Last week, of course, we did King David, this week on to King Solomon, so good stuff there. So shall we go ahead and get started, um, If you have not done so already, I encourage you to visit my website. It's calluponthelord.com. You'll be able to find all of the study guides here, the one that I teach from, which is right here this week. Uh, The one I teach from, you'll find that under the Bible study section, Corey Wigington, uh, The Great Story. So if you go look for that, uh, you download your study guide and follow along with me as we're we're stepping through God's Word and, and learning about the stories. So, go ahead, while you're on my webpage, you can like us on Facebook, that's facebook.com slash ward. we're also on uh, Twitter, twitter.com slash ward. and we have a, a, an iTunes feed, a, a YouTube video section, which you are looking at now, hopefully, if not, you're, you're listening to us on audio, and you've probably found everything already, so. At any rate. Let's get started, let's step into God's Word, and let's learn something. As one of my professors used to say, uh, let's stomp out some ignorance here. So, <clears throat> the introduction. We're in 1 Kings now. Of course, in the last section, we were looking in 2 in Samuel. Now, something that we, we should note here is... Well, Jeremiah, according to Jewish tradition, is the one that actually wrote 1 Kings. Now, recent scholarship and just a reading of the text kind of puts that into a little bit of a, you know, casts some doubt on that, because toward the end of the book of Kings, or 2 Kings, it talks about time in, in Babylon, and as we'll find out when we're stepping through Jeremiah's life and how he did all of his prophesying um, we'll find out that he actually went down to Egypt, he never went to Babylon so we're not certain that Jeremiah actually did write the book of of kings and second kings so right now um, the scholarship of that book there's a question on that, nobody really knows who wrote that book as we look at the Vulgate in the Septuagint and I have mentioned this before, Uh, 1st and 2nd Samuel didn't actually exist. It was called 1st Kings and 2nd Kings. And then the books of what we know as 1st Kings and 2nd Kings are referred to as 3rd Kings and 4th Kings. So depending on what text you are referencing, you may find some differences there, so be aware of that. A little bit of trivia just for, you know, for everyone else, but... uh, yeah, so just just keep that in mind. We are dealing with what we know of as First and Second Kings. So as we enter into the the book of First Kings, what we see is Daniel or David is about seventy years old at this time, and we know that because back in Second Samuel five four through five, it tells us that David was about thirty years old when he became king, and he ruled for forty years. Well, as we're entering into the book of 1 Kings, we find that we are right at the end of David's rule where you, you know, he's just about ready to die. So David is around 70 years old at this time. And as the book opens up, we find David. He is still the king, but he is an old man. It uh, says that he's, he's constantly cold. It may, may lead a little bit to, to show that he was having some circulation problems. Uh, but their solution for this was they said we should hire him a nurse, a young nurse, and that he should or that she should lie in his bosom and you know keep him warm um, Now, this nurse was was young and a virgin uh and it also makes it very clear in first kings one through four that David never knew her, so this wasn't like a concubine this was was actually a nurse here um According to my study notes that I was reading, this was actually a, a pretty common practice at this time, was uh, was to do something similar to this. So David wasn't doing anything wrong here. It was uh, you know, a medical thing to, to keep him warm. It says he never knew her, so nothing ever happened. Uh, she was just basically there to take care of him. So at this time, David is obviously old. He's probably pretty much stuck in bed, you know, because it, it talks about um, the nurse waiting on him and such. Um, he's not much of a, a visible and, and vibrant king anymore. So it's at this time that one of his sons makes a bid for the throne. Now this is his fourth son. His name is Adonijad Adonijah. You know, I had practiced that before I got in here, and I, I still can't do it. Adonijad. We'll go with that. <clears throat> but this was his four sons, probably his eldest living. Of course, we know that Amnon was killed by Absalom when Amnon took Tamar uh, into his bed. Absalom killed him. Absalom rebelled against David, and then during one of the conflicts, you remember he got his hair caught up in a, in a branch or, or maybe, you know, got his neck forked in a branch or something, and Joab killed him. And his third son, uh Chilliab, uh it says it, it's really he's really not mentioned beyond his youth so we're going to assume that he's died that he died in his youth and that he's no longer around so adonijah is the fourth son and he is making a, a bid for the throne right now it says basically he declares himself you know to be king of israel <clears throat> he starts gathering a small army i guess that's you know what you did you, declare yourself king, you do, you get yourself a little bit of an army, you know, a little bit of a following behind you and uh, then you just go from there. Now this didn't work out too well. Nathan, it says Nathan. Nathan of course was the prophet of God. He was the one that was constantly advising David. You remember back in our, in our previous session, Nathan was the one who had the the dream about uh, the rich man and the poor man and the rich man stealing the the poor man's lamb, uh, talking, of course, about Bathsheba. Uh, so Nathan was one to, to speak his mind and, you know, to advise David on on whatever he felt like was, was necessary. So Nathan, he goes to Bathsheba. So they've obviously path, patched things up here. And he says, um, he, he went and told her, he said, Go in at once to King David and say to him, "Did you not, my lord, the king, swear to your servant saying, 'Solomon your son shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne'? Why then is Adonijah king?" So Nathan told Bathsheba this. Now, that's not actually recorded anywhere in scripture. We don't see that anywhere else besides, you know, when Nathan first goes to Bathsheba and, and says this, but we're going to assume since, you know, Nathan is telling her this that David had actually promised Bathsheba that Solomon would reign after him. So, after Bathsheba had gone in and, and spoke with David, she leaves, and Nathan goes in and, and speaks with David. Uh, and at this time, you know, Nathan is telling look, you know, your son Adonijah, has done this you know you said Solomon was going to be uh, was going to be king after you so it says in second Samuel or I guess it, I got that misnoted noted there in first 1 Kings uh, 120 through 30 uh, it says the king answered call Bathsheba to me <coughs> So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, even so will I do this day. So at this time he commissions uh, Nathan, the prophet, and Zadok, the priest, to anoint uh, Solomon king of Israel. And they do that. They take uh they put Solomon on David's donkey, march him through town, and then end up anointing him uh as as King of Israel. So Sadok poured the the oil out of the horn and, and anointed Solomon King of Israel. And that's something that uh ajah didn't have going for him. You know, he basically just declared himself king, and no one had really said, you know, that he was going to be king. He just declared a king. You remember to begin with the people had said they wanted Saul to be king and of course the Lord directed uh, Samuel to to Saul and then the Lord directed Samuel to David and now what were we dealing with at that point? Uh, No one had really declared a a new king until this time right here when Nathan and, and Zadok Anointed Solomon as the king, so that's really why the people got behind Solomon. So Adin of course, he heard that Solomon had been anointed, uh, and he he was very afraid. It says that he went into uh, the altar. He said, took hold of the horns on the altar, and that's in in First 1 Kings one fifty. Says so he took hold of the horns on the altar, and he was basically begging for his life. At this point, uh this is symbolic of you know asking, you know, trying to become under the protection of God. Uh he was holding on to the horns of the altar and he's saying, you know, don't kill me. You know, I, I know I declared myself king, but don't kill me. Uh so Solomon says uh <clears throat> says Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, not one of his heirs shall or what not one of his hairs shall fall to the earth. But if weakness is found in him, he will die. So Solomon sent and they brought him down from the altar. And he came and paid homage to the king Solomon. And Solomon said to him, go to your house. So even though, you know, abed had raised up and was going to be, you know, kind of an adversary to to Solomon. uh, Once Solomon was basically declared king, Solomon forgave him, said, you know what? as long as you're not being deceitful, as long as you're not, you know, trying to usurp my throne, just go to your house, go in peace, you're fine. Of course, al-Dinanjad Ab- was not quite, uh, pleased with that. It says he goes to, to Bathsheba a little while later, later and says, you know, ask Solomon for me, I, I want to marry this girl, ask him if it's okay that, and that he grant me this, uh, let let him allow me to marry Abishag, the, Su- the Shunammite, as my, you know, take her as my wife. Well, that's not a, a bad request, I guess. I Meaning you know, asking Solomon to, you know, allow him to take this girl as his wife. But there was a problem with that. It was kind of a one of those backhanded things that was, was very deceitful. You see, this uh, this girl, this, this Abishag, uh, she was the one who was the nursemaid of David when he was in his old age and they were taking care of him of course David is is dead at this point um, he was the one that was or she was the one that was taking care of David so she was part of David's harem so what what was in actuality happening here is Abinadab was asking if he could marry one of the girls that was in David's harem which was the right of the king to do. So if he were to take this girl as his wife, he would basically be exercising kingly authority and basically declaring himself king because he was able to, to take this girl as his wife. Solomon was a little smarter than that though. He saw through the deceitfulness, saw what was actually going on, and then he, he said, look, you know, I gave you your life basically I told you to go away in peace. Now you're being deceitful again, trying to usurp my throne. And he ordered him executed. So, very cut and dry in in that part of scripture. I mean, it's... uh, Solomon gave him his life, and he was deceitful, and and Jad was killed for it. On a side note, Solomon actually means peaceful. And... Nathan called Solomon Jedediah. That was his name for him. Jedediah. And that means beloved of the Lord. So Solomon was not a warrior king like his father. David was a warrior king. He went out and he conquered all the lands. And, you know, that, that was his legacy, basically. Solomon was not. Solomon was a, a peaceful king. Rather than going out to war, he made peace treaties and such. Some good, and, and you know, well, most of them were, were probably not what God wanted him to do. Uh, you'll remember that uh, when they went into the land of Israel initially, God told them to kill everybody in the land and don't make peace treaties with any of them because they'll corrupt the people. And we see that's basically what happens with Solomon. But we're not quite there yet. So let's move on. Solomon was wise. It says he was the wisest man before he, uh, he himself was... The wisest man ever to live, from before him or after no one has been as wise as as Solomon. Let's read a little bit about that. That happens in 1 Kings 3, 5 through 14. And it says, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of his heart toward you. And you have kept him from this great uh, you have kept him from this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on the throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant David made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen a great people. Too many to be numbered and counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statues and my commands as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Covenant, and offered the burnt offerings and peace offerings, and made a feast for all of his servants. So, a couple things happened here. Uh, first, Solomon was a smart guy. Uh, he didn't ask for any of the riches he didn't ask for long life he asked for wisdom and the Lord liked that he said he wanted the wisdom the, the knowledge to, to be able to discern what is right so he could govern the people of the Lord and that was a smart choice it, it kind of reminds me of a, a Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade when you know, the one of the last scenes when they're sipping out of the, the cups of, you know, there was supposed to be the, the Holy Grail and the old knight tells them, You have chosen wisely. And that, that's kind of way I, I feel like the Lord was was dealing with Solomon here. He said, so you, you, You've made a smart decision here. And I tell you what, because you asked to be wise, I'm going to give you everything else that you didn't ask for. I'm going to make you an honorable man, make you a, a very rich man. And he also puts in something else down there. He says, and if you continue to walk in my ways, I will extend the days of your life. You know, he always puts that that little, or God does, uh, always puts that little little thing down in there. It's like, if you continue to walk in my ways, basically, I will give you these things if you continue to follow me. And that's what we see, basically, all through the Old Testament. God makes a promise and says, if you follow me, I will be your God, you will be my people. And then when the Israelites don't, then God, of course, hands them over to their enemies. So, God is reminding Solomon of this too. He's look, I'll give you these things, but stay loyal to me. Honor me. I I am your God, so honor me. Uh, and had Solomon continued to walk in the ways of the Lord, who knows what uh, what might have happened in his kingdom, but he at least starts off on the right foot here. God blesses him with with this wisdom and he's able to to demonstrate it in a very interesting way. Now this is a story and I'm going to read this because everybody knows this story. But it gets made fun of a lot in in our pop culture. You know, you see all kinds of of you know things on TV where somebody's trying to show how wise they are and they they pull this little little stunt right here and they kind of oh, ha oh, ha oh, ha you know you, you cut somebody in half uh, uh, trying to get somebody to say that it's theirs and let, let's go back to the original story and, and see what happened here why it was a good idea and, and why it worked Solomon of course was was extremely wise and he came up with this so let's look a little bit at Solomon's wisdom Of course, this is the story of uh, the two prostitutes and the baby. It says, Then two prostitutes came to the king, and they stood before him. The one woman said, O my lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day, after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else in the house with us, only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night, because she laid on him. And she arose at midnight, and took my son from beside me, while your servant slept, and laid him at her breast, and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. When I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not my child, which I had borne. But the other woman said, No, the living child is mine, and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, The one says, This is my son that is alive, and and your son is dead. The other says, No, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And the king said, Bring me a sword. So a sword was wrought before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child into two, giving half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman who was... Whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, O oh my lord. Give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered, saying, Give the living child to the first woman. By no means put him to death. She is his rightful mother. And all of Israel heard this judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because he perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. So Solomon had a an impossible situation put before him. There were no witnesses to this crime. The only people that were present during this whole situation were, you know, the plaintiff and the defendant really. I mean, the two women were in the house together alone. No one saw them, no one saw their children, so no one could say yes, you know, There was no definitive yes, this child belonged to you and this child belonged to you. So Solomon had an impossible case before him. I mean, there's no way that he could make that judgment just on the story that was presented because there's no way clear to say whose child had actually died. But he was able to, to think of an alternative by trying to divide the child knowing that the rightful mother would want the best for the child and would would give him up. Where the other other woman basically was, no, no, you just divide him and, and be done. She was he was able to discern their hearts at that point and make that decision and you know, give the the child to his rightful mother. This is a, a very wise move on, on part of of uh, Solomon. We make, like I said, we make fun of this in our, our pop culture. But we, if you really think about how you know how quickly he had to step through all that in his mind to figure out who was right and who was wrong and, and who the child should have should have belonged to, this is a very astute man. So, this was uh, you know just an example of the the wisdom of Solomon. Of course, in addition to being wise, Solomon also reigned over the a kingdom that was, you know, the most prosperous in all of Israeli history. Uh, During this time, of course, you remember David, he had captured all of this land, and under Solomon, it prospered even further. Let's look at uh, the territory that they had captured. And I hope this comes through on the video as well. I mean, this is a a map that I had gotten out of the, the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary, and it shows the 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 land of Israel during the, the time of King Solomon, you'll see the, the purple part in the middle, that was the kingdom under Saul's rule. Uh, and then we have... Yes, so the purple part is Saul's rule, and then under David's rule, it got expanded out even further, and that is the, the teal part that you see so David, you know, looks like he about you know doubled or tripled the size of uh, what Israel was. And then, of course, the the little bit greener line surrounding uh, this whole area is the area that Solomon had influence on. So it was really, uh, you know, Solomon had not just kept what David had given, but I mean, he expanded on... Uh, what he had influence over through treaties and, and you know acquiring land in different ways so uh, Israel was experiencing a time of, of great prosperity um, and they were doing quite quite well under Solomon's reign now as far as uh, administration goes Solomon divided Israel into 12 sections and appointed a governor over each of those sections. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's like, well, okay, well, maybe probably 12 sections, 12 tribes of Israel. No, no, not quite. The borders that he had drew up for the sections of Israel were different than the traditional tribal borders. So they didn't fall just within one tribe. I mean, he blocked it off, basically, the way he thought would be best to administer. Uh, and, in addition to, you know, basically blocking off these 12 sections, to, and that, that was basically so they would help support his government, um, every month he made one of those governors responsible for supplying all the food and everything for his own household. So Solomon was wise in the way he administered, and you know, basically broke up the uh, governorship amongst 12 people to, to help him administer even better. Uh 1 Kings 424 through 25 says for he had dominion over all the region west to the Euphrates from Tipsha to Gaza over all the kings of the west uh, west of the Euphrates and he had peace on all sides of him and Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba every man under his vine and every and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon so he had peace in his land He had all of this land around him. Uh, He was very well off. I mean, he had everything going for him here. And it's all because, you know, it was basically the legacy of his father who was, you know, had a heart after the the heart of God. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Uh, And that was the legacy that was passed down to him. And Solomon started off the right way, walking with God, praying to him for guidance, praying to him for wisdom. Um, he did everything the way he was supposed to. And he, you know, he, he continued on here. It says, uh, David wanted to build a house for the Lord. The Lord told him, look, you know, I've, I've been with Israel this whole time, and no house can contain me, but since you're, you're, your heart's in the right spot... I won't let you build the house, but I'll let your son build the house. So, now that Solomon has established himself king and he has all this riches, he now turns to building a house for the Lord. So, now we we talk about Solomon's temple. Um, now Solomon's temple, it looked an awful lot like the tabernacle. And we'll show you show you an image of the the temple here. Now, I apologize, this is a little blurry, uh, but it. It does demonstrate uh, what I think that it should. I mean, it, you have the, you know, the, the bowls and the, the lavish outside. You have the vestibule there on the left. Uh, you have the lampstands and the the table of showbread on the inside and in the holy place, uh, altar of incense, and then on the right side you have the inner sanctuary, the most holy place, and where the ark of the covenant would sit. It was modeled pretty much after after the tabernacle, is just a more complete structure. Now the cool thing about this was, this was was quite a spectacle. I mean, they they went and cut the trees down from from Lebanon because the cedars there, I guess, were, were beautiful. Um, the whole temple was ornate. It talks about you know big bronze statues and and ivory. Uh, uh, covering uh, many things, and the entire inside of the temple was overlaid in gold, which basically means that they took large gold, you know, large sheets of metal of, of gold, hammered them out, and then placed them on the walls uh, to, to cover over all the wood that was inside. So you walk into this place, and it is covered in gold. This, you know, this should tell you how rich Solomon was. He could just. Put the whole place in gold I, I imagine that was quite a spectacle you walk in and just I mean one candle's lit and the entire place is just lit up because everything's in gold so definitely a, a spectacle to to behold so after the temple was constructed of course Solomon ordered that the ark be brought up. Uh, to reside in the temple and in 1 Kings 8 uh Solomon gives his dedication speech for the temple he gives uh, um you know basically talks about himself and and how you know Lord had ordered David to make the temple uh well David had wanted to make the temple but the Lord had ordered him not to and that Solomon would make the temple and Solomon talks about how he you know, he is uh you know david's son and now he's the king and that he's made this wonderful temple for god uh he goes on to to talk about how um you know it's it's all because that they walk in you know uh, acknowledge the lord and walk according to his commandments that that they're blessed and you know he gives a good prayer and good dedication to blessing to the people during this time he's He's pretty sincere. You you read through the text, and it's like, yeah, well, you know, they're they're in the right spot there. They're they're talking about uh, everything that you know. Everything is the Lord's, and you will know, we'll walk in His uh, commandments, and you know, should we ever all ever falter, let us you know turn to the temple and pray and, and let the Lord hear us. And yeah, you know, he, he's doing pretty well at this point. When we talk about the wealth of Solomon, First uh, Kings ten twenty three. It says, Thus King Solomon excelled, all the kings of the earth, in riches and in wisdom. Um, 1 Kings 10.14 says he received an income of 666 talents of gold every year. That's about 25 tons of gold. Now, I'm not sure what that actually adds up to as far as dollar amount today. But I think you could run a country on that. 25 tons of gold and that was on top of any any money they made off of the the traders and uh, different merchants that were, that were just in the land it said once every three years ships of, of gold silver ivory apes and monkeys were brought into the kingdom uh, very exotic things spices and uh, you know this was that was in first 1 Kings 1022 they were living on the high life basically king solomon was <laughs> richer than than anyone else in the known world he had everything that he could ever possibly want uh, there was nothing that was denied him now we start getting into a, a little bit of of problems with Sam, uh, solomon one thing is solomon had 700 wives 700 and three hundred concubines on top of that. So, basically, you know, every time that he made an alliance with a foreign king, he got a daughter or, or some woman in exchange, you know, as uh, to kind of cement that relationship there. Uh, the problem was, you know, that was against the word of God. I mean, Solomon was committing bigamy there. You know, that was uh, an Old Testament, even, even in the Old Testament, that was a sin. So. I mean, he he starts taking on all these wives, and he wasn't blessed through all of those wives. Those wives ended up being his downfall. And of course, we see that here in our, our next section. It talks about Solomon's falling away. And there's two things here that we really need to cover. One is uh, God even reminds Solomon where his heart should be, and we're going to talk about that first. It's in 1 Kings 9. And I'm going to read this, First Kings 9, 1 through 9. And it says, It says, As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all of that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, as he appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea. Which you have made before me, I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as your father, as your David, your father walked, and uh, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your throne. Over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from me, from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land. That I have given them, and the house that I have consecrated for my name will be cast out of my sight, and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among the all peoples, and this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss, and they will say, Why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? Then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold of on other gods and worship them and serve them. Therefore the Lord has brought them brought all this disaster on them. So that's a interesting section. God there is, is reminding Solomon, I gave you all of this, and if you continue to walk in my ways, follow my commandments, follow all of my rules, I will make oh bless Israel forever. But if you don't, If you turn away, follow other gods, bad things are going to happen. And I'll take the the land away, I'll take your kingdom away, and you'll have nothing. Now, think about this for a moment from, from God's perspective. God knows what's going to happen. Nothing surprises God. He's telling Solomon, he's giving him this warning, saying, I will do this, but... If you go away and follow other gods and, and you know don't honor me, I'll take it all away. So he's giving Solomon fair warning here. He knows Solomon's going to follow other gods and, and do some, some bad things, and he's going to lose the kingdom. But God gives him the warning and says, This is what I've done. Uh, follow me, and it will all be yours. If you don't follow me, then everybody in the world will know why I took this away from you, because I warned you right here. You didn't follow me? Like, you know, I I took, I bought you, I own you, I brought your fathers out of the land of Egypt. You owe me, and we've talked about that before. They owed God that debt because he saved them from Egypt. But what he's saying here is, if you follow other gods, I'm done with you. So he gives Solomon fair warning here. And you know Solomon, at this point in his life, I mean up to first King's nine, he's doing pretty good now he does have uh, uh, the bigamy thing going on, which is, is a great sin in his life uh, but you know he's still following God in, in the other stat, uh, statutes of God, the law of God. Uh, he's not without sin, but he is following God uh, in other ways as well. Of course, we get to 1 Kings 11, and that all changes. And we're going to read that as well. It's 1 Kings 11, 4 through 12. And we read there. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, As was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidians, and Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all of his wives and made offerings in sacrifice to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep the Lord's, what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statues that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. So, What we have here, we see Solomon has 700 wives, and his wives had turned away his heart. Now, that's the reason why God had commanded the Israelites not to intermarry with the native people in the land, was because he didn't want all of the other gods being brought in. He was their God, and he was the only God, and he is the only God. So... Solomon had basically fallen into the trap that the Lord had prescribed the, you know, given the the solution to, when the Israelites first came into the kingdom. It's like don't intermarry with these people, you know. Be equally yoked. You are my people. Serve me. The other gods that that are out there, they're nothing but wood and plaster. There's no substance to them. I am the only God. So. Solomon though, he's got all of these wives and he's trying to make his wives happy so he starts building altars for their gods instead of saying to his wives no, 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 you're my wife you will serve my God, the only God and that's the only way this is going to work out he let them continue to do do their own, own worship practices and such and even help them along the way and this angered God because now Solomon was enacting according to God's covenant and God's statutes. He was basically serving other gods, uh, sacrificing to other gods, and building altars to them in the land of Israel that was Yahweh gods. (sighs) Solomon was uh, in big trouble here. And it says the Lord was angry with Solomon. So, Solomon... uh, Poor guy, he uh, he let everything get to him. Now yeah, he he had all the money in the world, he had all the wisdom in the world, riches, honor. He had <laughs> had way too many wives is what he had, uh, but he had everything that he could ever want, and it was all for naught because he didn't honor God with what he had. The source of, of everything that, that was provided to him that the Lord had given him, and he basically ignored and said, No, I'm going, you know, go on, or go ahead and I'll build this temple to this other God, or build this altar to this other God, we'll make sacrifices to this other God. And it cost him the kingdom. Now this happened, you know, when Solomon was was in his old age. And if you'll follow through the book of Kings, I mean immediately after this, we see. You know, the little subtitle says the death of Solomon. So it is possible that after all of his life of, of serving God, you know, like halfway through his life or, or whatever, he decides that uh, you know to build temples and, and altars and such to other gods, turns away from God. We're not sure certain what happened at the end of his life. You know, if you follow through the the Book of Kings, it's like, well, he died right after it said that he was, you know, turned away from God. But that may not be the end of the story. It's it's difficult to say exactly what happened to Solomon. Uh, was there redemption for Solomon? Well, we can look at the Book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon wrote that. It's basically a biography of his life. It talks about all of the material things that he had gotten, all the the wonderful things that, that he'd acquired through his life, all the riches and everything, and how much pain that had brought him. Uh, he describes everything that is that, that was in his life as, as being vanity, basically worthlessness, and that God alone, you know, had given him all this stuff. The book of Ecclesiastes itself was was de- kind of designed to show, basically his children future generations what his mistakes were so hopefully they wouldn't repeat them now at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes we see this little little statement it says the end of the matter all is heard all has been heard fear God and keep his commandments for this is the holy duty of man for God will bring every deed into judgment every secret thing whether good or evil so this was kind of how the book of ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes ended up, where Solomon is saying, you know and at the end of all things, God will be the judge of, of good and evil, so follow his commandments and since this was written in basically at the end of his life, we may you know we may get a glimpse here that Solomon had seen his folly and turned back to follow God. I mean, we see repentance all the way through the Bible where Men go one way and then they figure out how wrong they are and then they turn back toward God. This could have been what what was happening to Solomon here. We don't really have a good declaration from Solomon saying, you know, renouncing his, you know, what he did before and, and, you know, what we see from from a few other people in the Bible uh, where they had renounced their sin publicly and such. I mean, this Ecclesiastes may, may be that for him, though. So it's difficult to say whether Solomon actually received his uh, redemption or not. Uh, God willing, he did, though, because he did contribute a lot to, uh, to our biblical text. So the lessons we learned from, from this story, uh, one main lesson here is, great wealth and prosperity does not always equal <clears throat> happiness or a heart that is submissive to God you can look at a lot of people around just uh, around in this world and you can see a lot of people that are very well off very wealthy you know two cars in every garage and you know live in this big you know lux- house of luxury and you know they they always wear the best clothes eat at the best restaurants and they have a lot of money but that doesn't mean that they're happy that doesn't mean that they are serving god like the way that they should even if they look like well on the outside once you get inside and kind of examine what's their walk with god like i mean are they acknowledging god and praying and and do they serve him are they submissive to god things may change a little bit and that's what we see here in, in solomon's life i mean he was richer than anyone had ever been i mean people traveled from all around to hear his wisdom uh, you know to, to learn from him uh, but yet he turned from God and started following after other the other gods. we need to learn from that. Money does not mean that you are submissive from God or that you are blessed by God uh, just because you are a, a smart person doesn't mean that you are blessed from God. it all deals with your heart. And whether you acknowledge in your heart that God has blessed you and has given you all these things. And that the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. That he is in control of everything. And that everything that we have is because of him. So that's our lesson this week is submissiveness to God. Don't worry about all this vanity as as uh, Solomon calls it. You don't need to have a lot of money. You don't need to have a, a lot of you know, fame or, or uh, anything. It's, it's a matter of what is your heart like toward God. So we're going to leave it there this week and continue on next week, week 13. And honestly, I haven't looked to see what week 13 is going to be, so that's going to be a surprise to me too. So hopefully you join us back here next time. Uh, where we step through uh, a little bit more of God's Word and learn a little bit more of of the stories that we have in the Bible and, and gain a little wisdom and honor our Heavenly Father. So until next week, God bless you, keep studying, and hope to see you back.